kit, but the community standards versus censorship I mean like you knew what you were doing was against their rules. And even if you're right and they're wrong, that you knew that talking about any of the stuff about the election would go against their rules and get you banned. I'm saying you even told me the last few weeks that you can't right. really talk about this. So you, is that, I no, mean, I say, it's a form that. of censorship, but it, it, it is somewhat community standards, even if they're no, wrong. So that when the community says, you can't talk about election fraud, whether it happened or not. And if you do, you're going to get banned. And well, you basically all, knew that so that was the I, case. I, I, I didn't actually make any accusations of outright election fraud. All I mean, you knew I, they didn't want you talking about this stuff. Yes, you I knew did. Full, you knew full well that YouTube had I knew no full well desire of, to have people yeah. like you talking about that on their yes, platform. Well, like anyone. Maybe Facebook me. also, although you know, Facebook, Facebook might be a little too. bit more I'm careful in banning people than YouTube. They, I understand that they that anyone who talks who questions the 2020 election in any way is going to be purged from this society. I get that. That and I decided consciously to take the risk because. As I said, this is a mainstream story that is in the news. I can quote from articles that are being written in the Arizona newspaper and articles being written in New Hampshire papers about the Wyndham, New Hampshire audit. This isn't, I'm not making it up. It's not a theory. I'm not, you know, they say the community standard says you cannot engage in conspiracy theories about the election. So I felt like I was kind of drawing a fine line there because I didn't engage in a conspiracy theory. I reported the news, as did Josh Bernstein. They're doing the audit. It was approved by the legislature of the state of Arizona, the people. They, they, they authorized it. They they act, they advocate, appropriated $120 million in funds. And the audit is actually underway as of today. They are doing it. So, you know, I you know, in a way, I suppose it's an illustration of how actual news that's covered by the mainstream press is now being purged uh, under the under the claim that it's against quote unquote some kind of a community standard. I you know if that's community standard, then yeah, I really am sick and tired of it. I yes, I understood they could censor it. I even said so on the show, and so they have now that that's that show has been taken down from YouTube, and. I will not be live streaming there or, or downloading there until July. Um, again, I want to reiterate, uh, Dovid, that um, the show is heard on about 30 other venues, 10 of which are live and about 20 of them are archived. And if you want to get information or find out where you can hear or watch the show, go to the website that I've established, which is charlesmoskowitz.com. And on that website, you'll see a link to all of the venues that carry the show. So you can subscribe there. Maybe this is a blessing in disguise. I don't know, because I'm pretty sick and tired of worrying about censorship. Again, I know I know community standards. I mean, this is obviously good enough community standards for the federal FEC because people are talking about it on the radio, but apparently YouTube, it's not. So I understand what bias is, and I understand what censorship is, and I understand community standards, which I adhere to. And I'm not going to worry about the biases of these Nazis over at you know, YouTube who decide to goose step around and purge any opinion or any information that doesn't comport to their socialistic ideas. So I got that off my chest. What's new with you, David? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so it was interesting week. I, I had a, uh, I got invited 
to a, a big, uh, I mean, a reasonably big YouTube pro program in uh, Israel, this man, Joseph Cohn, who founded his own group, Israel Advocacy Movement. And I think he's a Balchuva and kind of like mainstream Zionist Hasbora type, uh, but, but he likes talking to people and he, he's got you know, some viral videos of debating various people on the street or at uh, rallies and also uh, um, you know, various clips like, uh, like most famous, I think Mark Collett, who uh, pretty, I guess a pretty extreme, almost uh, Nazi affiliated uh, alt-right figure in London, but, but he's somewhat mainstream that had been on uh, a lot of the alt-right programs and spoken with a lot of the same people. And, and I guess he makes videos trying to expose anti-Semites and, and he's made a video about Adam Green. And uh, I, I guess he came across me and was going to make a video exposing me. As and what? As a Semite? I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, it's possible that he just saw me on Adam Green and thought, and, and uh, but he reached out to me and like I told him, like, I'm defending the Jews. I'm defending Chabad. Um, I, I meant the things that I said. And uh, he went over some like clips of uh, things that I'd said and questioned me about it. And I said my general strategy when I had debated, you know, counter Semites was generally to own anti-Semitic tropes in the sense that like, yes, there is generally truth to these tropes, but it's a good thing, not a bad thing mm -hmm. in, ter in terms like, uh, like even the quote, you know, you, God forbid, uh, they cry out in pain as they strike you or the culture of critique and say like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're like we're, we're Jews, we're critical of everything, we disagree with everything, uh, like that's what we do, uh, but it's a good thing, not a bad thing. And, uh, you know, it's so almost all of his points where he had me kind of like publicly agreeing with, uh, you know, Adam Green about things that would be considered anti-Semitic. I, I said, that's my strategy is to largely own the tropes and say that there's a hint of truth in the tropes and that's why they're called, they're said about us. Uh, but in reality is they're largely recognizing something positive about the Jewish people that makes us, um, you know, who we are, like, like I said, like Adam Green, uh, like Alan Dershowitz said, the uh, Jews being good with money is a compliment and true. So, you know, you, call, you like, like the argument I had with you, he's like, you call me an anti-Semite for, for saying that, but like, no, it's a fact. Yeshiva turns you into a good landlord. Being Jewish helps you be good with money. And, uh, you know, that type thing, like, right. Where it's like, I'm going to own the trope, you know, like, come and, and, uh, and I don't, I agree with that it's not an anti Semitic at all. It's a positive. It's something we should be proud well, of. Well, they meant it as negative. But, I said, Adam I, Green, well, the people I who used it, but I was talking to the audience, not Adam Green. So when Adam sure. Green said it, I, you know, I, I, I was talking to the audience. Well, they weave like, in a whole conspiracy theory that the Jews, because they're good, uh, you know, because Judaism and Talmudic study and culture does tend to teach a certain efficiency with regard to managing finance and, and business, that, that this is somehow a conspiracy by which Jews are secretly trying to control the world. And by the way, David, you and I, uh, this very program we're doing, Partners in Torah, as you call it, this was taken down by YouTube about uh, six months ago. I don't know if you know, I don't know if I mentioned that to you, but- You uh, remember- it was yeah. probably something like I, I that. I don't think they gave me a strike, but they gave me a warning at the time. And it, you know, and I, I responded to them by saying, look, the idea that you would think that David and I were, were engaged in anti-Semitism is ludicrous, given the fact that we're both fairly religious or moderately religious Jews who are supportive of Judaism and generally supportive of the state of Israel. So 
you know, I think they backed down on that once once they got that. But maybe some of this might have to do, and this was actually explained to me by Dr. E. Michael Jones, that he said it's not necessarily anything that I might have said personally or a guest. It just has to do with algorithms. They pick up a word here or a word there, and electronically, artificial intelligence, they 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 flag it and then they drop, you know, they they hit you with a, with a strike. I don't for complaints. You know, like it, it just if sure. someone actually complained, even if they were a non-Jew, that uh, you know just said they, they saw the video and they flagged it because they thought of anti-Semitism. It could have just been a troll who didn't uh, like us and wanted to cause us problem, or it could have honestly been a Jew yeah. that uh, came across this and was like, "What are these guys talking about?" Or like yeah. Alan Dershowitz said, that Alan Dershowitz was called an anti-Semite by non-Jews. That that uh, you know, the same way like yeah. using the N-word or something that uh, you know like is it okay for blacks to use the n-word and to say is it okay for jews to uh right um say those type tropes if you want to talk about it um probably the most insightful argument was my language that i call jews a managerial class which it could be anti-semites refer to jews as a managerial class i understand i understand marx marx used the language of jews as a managerial class some rabbis some pro-jewish people um, have expressed it, this as I, a managerial class. I guess it class. how you mean it. I mean, in the case of Marx, he did mean it as a negative and as an anti-Semitic trope. I mean, he wrote the book On the Jewish Question, which is one of those viciously anti-Semitic books written in history. It's right up there almost with Mein Kampf. And yeah. I mentioned also the early Zionist referred to us as a managerial class. And I joked that you know, Herzl well, and the founders of the state of Israel wanted to turn Jews into workers, and it largely failed. And Israel now mostly relies on uh, foreign labor, that the, the, the original Zionist right. concept was that, you know, like Jews, they don't work. They're not laborers, even God forbid, like the Arb Makhfrey well, from an anti-Semitic point of view. But the early Zionist also agrees that Jews don't yeah, work. And, and even today, that's uh, within Israel, the biggest complaint about Haredim is like, we don't work. We all think um, we're management. And factually, relatively, Israel was not successful really in turning Jews into laborers. That, and well, I believe uh, today we have like three, four hundred thousand foreign laborers in Israel yeah, but due they, to the fact that Jews aren't really laborers. No, they was partially successful. But the point is that, yes, it's true that Jews generally have, uh, and it's a cultural thing as much as it is a like a, a religious thing. It's it's just that the, the you know Jews were not allowed to own land. They were not allowed to go into certain professions. And so they they and they were not allowed to settle. It was always a threat of expulsion. For thousands yeah, those, all those agreements were agreed upon by the rabbis. Well, That's the one thing that people to, miss. You know, is that, is that the rabbis and the and, rabbis and, met with the church leaders to negotiate those. It wasn't like you know the church and the European just stuck these horrible rules upon the Jews with us. We actually negotiated like a rabbi mayor uh, who who was most famous for the anti polygamy ban negotiated those deals with the church like we, we well, yeah i mean once once the jews were banned from certain professions the the local not so much the church but local princes and local dukes and local principalities they would cultivate relations with the jews as as people who could conduct trade and finance and diplomacy but it wasn't stuck on us saying like we our rabbis negotiated that it's in I'm our sure books they did. rabbis and uh, business people oh absolutely and, and, you know, it's, I think it's a source of, of great pride. I mean, that the Jews were able to, in a way, contribute greatly to the development of the Renaissance in Europe because of their ability to trade with the Middle East and with the other countries and 
you know, act as emissaries on many sense in, in many ways. They would act. It's in our books, like the management class oh, yeah, is is, sure. is a philo-Semitic type idea that our sages have have said. And I said, like being a priest to nations or a light to nations, you could translate in English as management. Like that's not literally what being a priest to nations means. But to some extent, the yeah, role of no, Jews I, I is, I think it's pretty reasonable to translate that as management, but at the same time, anti-Semites might use the same terms and marks. Okay, look at it. People... And, yeah, that, and that was probably the most American, interesting United part States, of our explain. And of, also, of it is a cultural thing because the United States is the first society in history to honor business people and managers and middlemen and, and merchants and entrepreneurs. You know, in most cultures, including European cultures and Asian cultures and, and others, that they will China, you know, that that the, the managerial class, the the merchant class, was looked down upon as somehow lowly and, you know, somehow less than, and you know that's that also correlates with an anti-Jewish attitude, that I think changed with with the development of the United States because the United States is a nation that's made up of businessmen of all types and of all ethnic backgrounds, it's it's who we are. So, you know, in a way it's elevated Jewish values, frankly, but also generally the value of being self-sufficient and in business and management and all of that. So, you know, the anti-Semites, people like Adam Green and, and these others, they view this as some kind of a conspiracy to control the world. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Rothschilds, even Susan Bradford the other day on my program, she's written a book and you know she she points to the Rothschilds as responsible for everything on the planet, and I I, I like her and I think that she's a, she's not an anti-Semite because she says the Rothschilds aren't Jews. I saw that she's like I'm not an anti-Semite. The Rothschilds aren't even Jews. I said that. No, she said that. Oh, did she? Okay. Well, uh, whatever. The, the point is, that I, I made the point about the blue-eyed people also that uh, that in Europe a lot of people um, you know, just looked as as uh, empirical evidence, like, oh, they're blue-eyed people, they can't be Jews, it's just not possible. And uh, and to some extent, I'm not sure what percentage, like if the Rothschilds, a lot of them are blue-eyed people. Who knows if that's what, if that's what she meant. I mean, she was talking about people from Tyre, and if she was making the point, like I was saying that, uh, uh, and it's not my point, it's just a historical point, that's like, look at the Rothschild, they got blue eyes, like that they can't be Jews. Or if she has some other reason to assume that they're like non-Jews who usurp Judaism, well, which she, even Henry Ford yeah. um, claimed that he was trying to protect the Jews that in his time that like the, the you know, God forbid the um, the protocols that there were some people who believed that the like the protocols were not Jews and they were just using the Jews and you could look like Bilderberg group or something like that today. I don't believe where, where the majority of the you know prominent members of the Bilderberg are not Jews, although probably yeah. still 10, 20 percent of them are. And you say, but they use the Jews. That if you're an Orthodox oh, Jew, if you're an Orthodox Jew in Baltimore or Boston, that the Bilderbergers are using you. I agree. I agree with Ford on that. I mean, if you look at the protocols of the Elders of Zion, and I did a pretty deep research on that as part of my book. I say Ford claimed he was trying to defend the Jews well, from the conspiracy. That, but, but in, the in the court that, case, that, that he says that, that he said that he's defending the Jews, not attacking them. Well, I don't know about that, but the point is that if you look at the protocols of the Elders of Zion very carefully and read it, you can see that it has nothing to do with Judaism. I mean, it was it was basically about a conspiracy, yes, a conspiracy, 
maybe the Rothschilds might have had a hand in it, maybe they didn't, but it, it, it was a conspiracy that involved, I think, a satanic element that exists in society and always has. Very high level people in, in business, in culture, even in religions and in politics, who do who do seek to subvert the the normal and natural course of society, and who are have a satanic element, and who are occultic, and who are I mean the Jew the the example of where this corrupted elements of Judaism was the introduction of the false Messiah Shabtai's V, in my opinion, which I also talk about in that book. And, but the point is, it has nothing to do with Judaism. And if you read the Protocols of the Elders of Zion and their agenda, it obviously has nothing to do with Judaism. The whole language is something else. It's, it's completely alien to any Jewish understanding, culturally and otherwise. And, and I think it was something that was a blueprint for, frankly, a new world order that had nothing to do with Jews and that Jews were going to be blamed or assigned um, the, the, the uh, party of guilt for a lot of reasons, including the fact that Tsar Nicholas II of Russia was angry over the fact that Russia had received a black eye in the Russo-Japanese war and that he blamed the Jews for that. Because, you don't have to get too sidetracked on this, because let's talk about Jack Abramov all right, but in a modern-day example. And I wanted to let me just finish. Let me finish my thought. He blamed the Jews because um, Jacob Schiff and other Jewish financiers operating out of New York had financed and helped the Japanese. So he was like, "Oh, this is terrible. This must be the Jews' fault." And he then supported this this uh, Orthodox priest named Sergio, who wrote the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Anyway, yeah, let's talk about Jack Abramov. Okay, so I mean, you know, just uh, your public notification, conflict of interest. My mother is was an attorney, Judy Kelton, at uh, Honigman Miller, Schwartz & Cohen, the biggest law firm in Metro Detroit, retired now, bankruptcy attorney. Ironically, um, it's unclear, but Honigman Miller, Schwartz & Cohen, I think had like 100 attorneys before they hired their first non-Jewish attorney that, you know, historically in the days where you had Jewish law firms, but it, it, it's uh, one of the biggest law firms in Detroit, and now probably like half Jewish. And my mother was in the bankruptcy department and represented the uh, Greek Town Casino uh, together with George Romney, the son of uh, Governor Romney, Mitt Romney's brother. Uh, his father. Oh, his son, his brother. Yeah. I mean, George Jr. So Mitt Romney's brother is George, uh, oh. like his father. And yeah. he was an attorney at Honigman Miller, Schwartz & Cohn, the largely Jewish law firm that's the biggest one in Detroit. And his specialty is tribal law. I mean, he's retired also. Um, and so in the case of the Greek town casino, my mother represented the casino and George Romney represented the tribe. And, okay. uh, and, and we, I mean, my mother said that she talked with Jack Abramov a few times. She didn't actually work for him. He tried to get in on the Detroit Greek town casino deal and didn't. Um, but he ended up representing a whole bunch of casinos in Michigan, like uh, Ms. Bradford uh, was mentioning. Yeah. Ironically, Greektown now is Jewish owned. It's owned by uh, Dan Gilbert of uh, 
rocket. Uh, is it still a part of a casino, uh, a, a, an Indian tribe, Native American tribe? So they, they, Greektown was first allowed in Detroit as an exception to Indian land and, and back in like the 90s. And, and Donald Trump had actually tried to bid on it also. Right. And it, it had turned out that they were only going to let the Indian tribe open the casino in Detroit. And then they had, a, I think it was a referendum where it was a Michigan ballot initiative to allow gambling in Michigan or at least Detroit. So at that point, they no longer needed the Indian tribe in order to have a casino. So the original casino, Greektown, which was on tribally recognized land, was the first casino. And then they changed the law and they opened up a few other casinos that, that are just regular, completely nothing to do uh, with, with Indian tribes. And actually Donald Trump himself had came to Detroit and he wore a red cape like the devil. And, and there's pictures in the Detroit papers and, and bid uh, to, to a casino and he lost to MGM Grand. And then eventually the the tribal, the tribe sold, they actually went bankrupt. And my mother was a bankruptcy attorney. So ironically, they went bankrupt. And if you know anything about bankruptcy, even though they got bankrupt, their reward for going bankrupt was getting like hundreds of millions of dollars loans to build like a huge hotel and convention center. So whatever reason they were losing money and ran out of money and how, you know they went to the be, bank and they brokered a new deal. How could that they, be that they got, I mean, once they declared bankruptcy and they screwed everybody who invested in them, then they, they were able to get some kind of big subsidy or something. How did that work? Well, it's the way bankruptcy works is that the bank is already vested so much in the company that they may have already lost tens of millions of dollars. So you could, uh, you know, sell off the assets and try to get a return on the loan, or you could double down and lend them a whole bunch of more money. So it wasn't necessarily corruption. It was just like, okay, you know, we lent you money to open up a casino and you messed it up. It's losing money. Um, but maybe, it, you know, if instead of lending you the 10 millions, tens of millions of dollars that you, that they were lent and failed with, if we lent them hundreds of millions of dollars that they would succeed. Mm -hmm. And actually it, it probably worked. I think the casino eventually turned, uh, turned uh, profitable, very profitable. It was sold. It was ran actually by, I think a Jewish group in Las Vegas through the Indian tribe where, where it was some, and then eventually it was just completely sold to uh um, Dan Gilbert, uh, but but uh, okay. we didn't need Let's Jack Abramov in that. So Jack Abramov was kind of like a fifth wheel who just kind of wanted to make some money off of it. Sure. Or, or I mean, he knew a lot, but we didn't like like the tribe in Detroit turned out that they didn't need him. But the tribes around Michigan that uh, you know, didn't have the ballot initiative or, or did need his uh, lobbying. So you know, Hanegman, Miller, Schwartz, and Cohn, whatever whatever case was, they were able. To handle that case without the help of Jack Abramov, but they spoke with him, and he, and, and and I guess he was a big enough name that like anybody doing a big casino deal in America, mm -hmm. Abraham Abramov was on the call, and he had uh, quite a bit of credibility with a certain element of tribal uh, chiefs that that right. uh, Abramov was a trusted name. You mentioned like the deep state, and because Abramov was, uh, I mean, you saw the movie they made about him, but but he was like a national Republican party leader a fundraiser right. and uh, obvious. I also thought like deep state, like could you call Chabad deep state? And I had a friend, yeah, they might a cousin of Rabbi Shemtov. I mean, he was a Shemtov and his, you know, Rabbi Shemtov in Washington, DC, who basically is in charge of kosher at the White House. So like, I remember him joking to me like a decade ago, he's like, Rabbi Shemtov is going to be the rabbi 
of the White House, whether it's Democrat or Republican, and it's not really an elected position. I mean, they, they could probably change it, but to the extent that uh, Rabbi Shemtov was doing the kosher in the Jewish events in the White House, I think since Bush and, and you know, when Obama was there, he still used Rabbi Shemtov and Trump still used Rabbi Shemtov. And, you know, even though Jared, you know, Jared Kushner prayed by Rabbi Shemtov, but now that Biden Harris are in the White House, they're still using Rabbi Shemtov. So, I mean, if that's, that's not a really deep state, no, like, but it's a, like, like, it's like a, a government appointed position, but the well, Indian tribes, a, the Indian tribes are more indicative because a lot of the Indian tribes are like, you know, Hasidic Rebbe's that, that they're, they're leaders of their tribe for life. They might have elections, their kids might become the leaders after them. So they outlast U.S. officials. So if you're a U.S. official right. doing uh, negotiations with an Indian tribe, you know, eventually your time in the government is going to come to an end. And the Indian chief is probably still going to be the uh -huh. same Indian yeah. chief, although there's a lot of disputes in there. So like Abramov, uh, and I even mentioned George Romney, I mean, that uh, Mitt Romney's brother, of all the things that he does, specializes in tribal law. And one last thing I'll mention, we can talk about any of these, is are they Jews? So like the who is a Jew question, I've spoke to a lot of Mormons and I think deep down, most Mormons believe that they're Jews. They might know that like, you know, me or you aren't gonna accept that they're a Jew, but if you spoke to them, um, Mormons allocate themselves to a tribe and according to their self-belief system are Jews. And they also have superstitions about Native Americans. And I'm not sure right. if like you look at like the Mormon church, and, like what the is Native deep American state? descended from the tribe of Manasseh, right? Well, I assume that Mormons are descended from, to say that, like, like Mormons know that we reject that, but it's saying as a Mormon, right, I mean, you'd have to have a Mormon on to defend themselves. I'm not a spokesman, but I believe that Mormons, if you ask them, no, no, they self-identify as Jews. Sure, that they, they think they're descended from the tribe of Ephraim or something. No, I get that. I mean, that's their, that's their hagiography. That's their right. Now, let me ask you a couple of things about the Native Americans, because uh, Susan Bradford talked about or maybe it was I who said this, that because of the kind of the, the centralization of their governments and because they are, I have a certain level of autonomy and sovereignty, they're outside of certain elements of American law, both state and federal. They have their own internal law within a state. I mean, obviously they're still part of the state, but uh, the result is that they can do things like casinos and other things that might not necessarily be on the up and up, and that there may be in some cases a certain level of corruption that seeps in. You know, some of these are not exactly democratic oriented governments. Um, and there's- I don't believe they have to be. They're not- No, they don't. And there's a lot of money pouring around and floating around with big casinos. You know, you're gonna have corruption. So my question is this, I mean, she says that in the state of Michigan, in a very brief period of time, Indian casinos went up from maybe about three to about 25. And also, what's the deal with Donald Trump showing up with a red cape, you say? And there were pictures of this. What is, what is that supposed to mean? I think there's 10 or 12. I mean, Donald Trump at the time in the late 90s, when they were first going to allow, no, not the late 90s, the early 90s, yeah. maybe even the late 80s, when they were, it was after Donald Trump's bankruptcy, I think in the early 90s. I mean, you could Google the article in, and, and like this is the early 90s when Trump was uh, the casino guy. He was in Atlantic City and all these various things. And so Detroit was one of the first major cities anywhere in the whole country that allowed casinos. I think I think we may have been the first. There might have been other smaller type options. So people around the country came to bid on a casinos and Donald Trump was one of them. 
Sure. And for whatever reason, Donald Trump at the time in the early 90s um, wore a red cape when he did it. You know, you could look, Google and see the pictures. That's and I, I think it was like the devil. Was, I think, I mean, literally, he wore a red put, cape because he, he was trying to open up a casino in Detroit. So you put like a red cape on and the devil. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why you'd have to ask somebody, but, but I mean, it's a fact. Maybe he was trying to imitate Grand Power and the Monsters. I don't know. It's weird. Whatever. Um, I, I, I mean, I think that Donald Trump is somebody who, you know, changed a lot over the years and, and was a very different person. By the time. So he lost to MGM Grand in, in the in the bid, but but he was probably the MGM is a bigger name than Trump, you know. So like it made oh, sense. But he was a major. It made sense that Trump made a bid. Sure. It made sense that oh, Detroit yeah. chose MGM Grand over him. No, no, no. He was a player in the whole casino business. Um, you know, even Bradford mentioned Trump in her. Oh yeah, she did. Uh, doing the the deal with the Seminoles in uh, in Florida. I mentioned many times. I'm not sure on your show. Uh, Trump's original partner was the Edis Gottesman family. In fact, uh, the the famous helicopter crash that uh, Trump claims he should have died on, yes. it was uh, it was his Jewish uh, investor friends, and it's interesting because the Gattis, Edis family had ran the most popular hotel in the Catskills, and as it was dying out, as most of the hotels in the Catskills now, they actually tried to make those into casinos, and maybe Trump was involved, but they sold and got tens of millions of dollars basically before those Catskills uh, ones became um, worthless. And that was Trump's original money partners. I mean, he had his own money from his right. father, but his original investors were the Jews from the Edis Geismit family in the Catskills and, uh, and the, the arena where Mike Tyson fought in, in the Trump, uh, I think it was torn down already, but the, the Atlantic City Casino, he named after the Jewish family, as I think it was called, at his God, God, God is a stadium. And, and Donald Trump uh, said that that was the most significant event in his life, that helicopter crash. Yeah, it was. He, he was supposed to be on the helicopter. Yeah, I mean, I remember reading about that in, I think, The Art of the Deal or one of his other books, which I read years ago. And it was. I mean, you know the history of that. His God is family in, in the famous Catskill Casino where you know, know, know. his wife used to go and all the comedians. Not the one like Will Chamberlain was like a was like a bag boy at one of these Jewish hotels in the Porsche, Catskills, yeah. Yeah. and he said he used to like just lift up furniture to the second floor. He would just like lift it up. He was so tall, but it, but that was the that wasn't the one that uh, Trump's partners was. But that was the biggest thing in Judaism in America for probably like fifty years, like Rodney Porsche, Dangerfield. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and the and hotel the get I just got his one was the most fancy, nicest of them. And they were one of the few that Which sold and got that? out. Was that the um, Brown? Oh, oh. I, I have to look. I have a book on the history of it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but it's interesting. It said that it you know, Trump was always a friend to Jews. His business partners, his very first, that, that, I, I believe that was Trump's very first business partners. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't doubt that. Anyway, um, so I so have. There's a lot I, of relation between the deep state yeah. and tribal. And, and Trump, as a youth, probably saw. Um, you know, elements, and you call it, what is the deep state? Like, say, okay, is Chabad the deep state? Mean, mean to say that, no, I uh, so. well, I mean, I mean, are you talking deep state, like, like Fauci, when, when uh, yes, the congressperson said, like, you were not elected, that's or, right, or, or even like the federal well, reserve, I think or in the army. more than that. I mean, Fauci is somebody who I think you could say is a deep stater, but I mean, it's, it's not a hard definition. I think it has more to do with kind of this informal, as you say, unelected 
governance that we have, which, which elected officials have transferred power to them going way back. I mean, this goes back a century. And that uh, they function in government no matter who is elected, whether it be president, Congress, or otherwise. And, and yeah, people like Fauci is a classic example of that. Look at the power that he has. And look at I'll tell you my personal experience just to show how powerful the deep state is. Most of it's in the military, which I'm not an expert, but I did building permits in New York. And each borough in New York has its own department of buildings. And the head of the department of buildings is a lifelong appointment. Yeah. And the head of the department of buildings has the authority to sign off on zoning or building violations. So if you yeah. are trying to build a That's building and there's something against uh, the city zoning that the lifetime appointed commissioner of the borough signature is basically law that, that this lifetime appointed person oh, yeah. could they sign the law, name. Sure. And, and I remember like, I mean, I did smaller, I, I did some building permits actually on some 20 story buildings, some bigger buildings, but I, I remember Trump's people. I never saw Trump, but I remember the people who, uh, did building permits for Trump also. And, uh, it, you know, so what's corruption? Um, well, no, I think even like election, you, it, the, the idea of like, like term limits versus why do we have yeah, lifetime appointed job jobs? Does it make sense that the building commissioners is a lifetime appointed job no, it doesn't. And, and that they have their signature has discretionary authority and especially in the military, in the military, there are so many lifetime appointed jobs where the signature has a lot of discretionary power. Oh, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. That is the, the very basic definition of the deep state. People who are in the bureaucracy, they're going to be there no matter who is president. It actually goes back to Rutherford B. Hayes and the establishment of the civil service system, where you develop a civil service class that would be there no matter who was elected, and that these people had the power to make laws. They didn't call them laws. They call them directives. Discretionary power. Well, yeah, whatever they wanted to call it, they give a different. I mean, they can't purpose. really make laws. They have the power no, to but override they have, laws. No, at actually, least in the buildings, they can't they make don't laws. Have, they could just you know, override. They, they could override have, laws for who they want to. Yeah, or they can redefine laws, and they actually can make laws. They just call it something else. They'll call it guidelines. They'll call it this. They'll call it that. And yep, yeah, I mean, this is absolutely how the deep state functions. And you could take a look at a guy like Fauci. I mean, he's talk about corruption. He he suppresses basic information that could have helped people not get COVID-19 or recover more quickly. Things like as simple as taking vitamin D and zinc, which he reveals recently in an interview, he has been taking himself since the early part of the uh, 19 of 2020. Didn't mention this to the public. Um, Grossinger. Someone just messaged me. Grossinger, Grossinger. is the hotel. Oh, okay. Or things you know like that. I didn't know that name. I think the family was Grossinger Etis. But the Grossinger is the Grossinger, hotel. That, sure, it's very famous. Or, or, or things like hydroxychloroquine or other things that are being used around the world to mitigate the effects of COVID-19. None of that happened because Fauci, acting as almost a, a, a dictator, is like a, some kind of a saint, had the power to suppress that and promote strictly the vaccines only. And I think there was a financial side to that, quite frankly. We don't know that. There's a good book about that right now called The Fauci and Bargain by, um, by who is it? Uh, Steve Deese, Steve Deese. Who, Will uh, Chamberlain looked at, worked at Kutchner's thanks to uh, Galitzian filling in those names. Will Chamberlain oh, those are, those was a bad boy at Kutcher's and like, Trump teamed yeah. up with the Grossingers. Those are great places. I don't know, have you ever been to the Catskills clubs? Well, they're all Hasidic. I, I, I was a driver. I, I spent a summer in the Catskills 
and I remember those hotels. Those hotels are, are like uh, walled they're off. Fantastic. And in fact, they tried to turn them into casinos, but I mean, they're all run down almost. There's a few yeah, of them I mean, that have been kind of a day, turned Hasidic. So now it's all Hasidic there, basically. I mean, it's a time that came and went, but I, I went to a uh, high holidays with my wife when we right around the time we were first married at the Chalet Vim, which uh, we had a fantastic time. It's beautiful. Um, they, they, but I think that it's it's a kind of a it's a culture that's kind of gone by the wayside. Probably it is now all Hasidic and the dirty not, dancing is the yeah. Well, that's you were saying like dirty dancing is celebrating the end, the coming to the end of the era yes. where people used to go to the Catskills. And at this point, the only Jews who still go to the Catskills are, are Hasidim, and, and even the Hasidim, a lot of them live there all year now. So now there's right, like so it's almost no like longer, hundreds it's of thousands no of Hasidim living there. And it's really not a resort any longer. And also the whole business of- They're the, still there. They're, they're ruins. I'm saying if you go to the yeah. Catskills now, you oh, see yeah. these huge they're hotels yeah. and they're ruins. And they tried to uh, get, they tried to be able to turn them into casinos and lost. There, there had been great attempts to allow legally those to be turned into casinos and whatever reason the court cases yeah. uh, and also, I mean, look, let, that. and let's let's broaden it and point out that there are plenty of non-Jewish resorts too, um, particularly in the Poconos. Now, um, you know, the other thing that I think culturally has sort of gone by the wayside. Correct me if I'm wrong, is the Jewish socialist summer camps that were all over the place in the 19 right from the probably the 1930s right up till the 1970s, um, and uh, you know that was a big part of the culture. I went to one many years, Camp Shalom. Um, you know, it was uh, part of, you know, growing up as a Jew. I don't know if the Jew do, if you want. Alan Dershowitz's single greatest story is when he was a kid, he was an anti-Zionist who went to a Zionist summer camp and Noam Chomsky convinced him to stop being an anti-Zionist and switch to being a Zionist. Well, and now, you know, Noam Chomsky is the most famous, probably anti-Zionist anti in America, but that's Alan Dershowitz. His favorite story, if you ever heard him well, say. Well, Chomsky started out as a Zionist. Yeah, by saying that D Chomsky was Dershowitz counselor yeah. at one of those camps. At one of those camps. No, they were very. I went to one. They were very profound effect on on me. I mean, these were incredible places. Um, you know, and I think that it's they're still there, but it's not quite what it used to be. And you know, they had a lot of Yiddish kite, but they were also very leftist. Um, that's that was at least my experience. So people think, well, how is it that I became anti-left? That's a big story for another day. Anyway, David, um, so I want to talk a little bit about the Chauvin trial, if you don't mind. Um, because, I think that, um, you know, he was obviously guilty of, of the death of, of George Floyd. I mean, that's the, the, the evidence on that is, I think, overwhelming. You see the video. I don't think that it was deliberate, obviously. That's why he wasn't charged with first degree murder. Nobody even claimed that it was. He wasn't like, I'm gonna kill this man. Nor do I think that he thought that, that Floyd would die. I think that Floyd was a very ill person. He was on, on a lot of substances and drugs and he had a bad heart and he was in very poor health. Probably would have died anyway. That's beside the point. But I don't think that uh, that Chauvin understood that when he detained him. Um, and so he just uh, you know, treated him like anyone else who might've been resisting arrest. And uh, so I, I honestly don't think that he deserved to get second degree murder. I think that manslaughter, yes, it seems to me that Floyd died under his custody. He was in charge. 
he was reckless, he made bad decisions. And so, yeah, I mean, it's certainly a case of manslaughter based on the, what I've followed. I'm not saying I'm, I've followed this thing that closely, but I followed it enough and I've seen enough of it. And so I think that the, the fact that he was charged with second degree murder and, and, he was, and he was charged with all counts. I, I think that that is political. And I think it's political because I think that the jurors were intimidated by the mob that was gathering outside and that was threatening to burn American cities across the country unless there was a full conviction on all counts. And then you had Congresswoman Maxine Waters show up and literally threaten the uh, the you know the jurors and say we want this outcome and if we don't get it we're going to ratchet up violence we're going to you know in other words it was a mob mentality and there was a mob element to the trial and that the jury apparently was not sequestered either until the very end so they heard this stuff they would they even you couldn't avoid it I mean yeah they're told don't look at news but you can't it's very difficult to to not notice when you have people out on the streets around your home and in your city agitating for violence and on the verge of violence. And God, so, for, God forbid, I mean, like the Jewish evolutionary group strategy um, is like African-American group strategy. Is violence a good or legitimate? You say if it's illegitimate, but does it work? Violence as a group strategy is actually relatively effective. Uh, you look, it depends on what you're getting violent over. Now, if you're getting violent because the government We're is just getting what you want, that, I mean, relatively you know, straightforward, I mean, no matter what, get what is, you want, yeah, violence, violence is probably would, the number think, one basic primal right. strategy. And as a group strategy, sure. it works exceptionally well. You threaten violence, you're going to get results because people want to, they, they're like, they want to avoid it. So they're going to, they, they, they do what you want. It's, 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 that's how terrorism works. You send somebody in to blow themselves up in a pizza parlor and kill as many people as possible, you're going to get results. You're going to create such a social disorder and, and such injustice and such social dislocation that, and, and such terror that people- That we have Biden as president. I mean, really, that's what put Biden into the White House. Yes, it is. The violence all summer, people you know, burning Black businesses and, and neighborhoods and killing Black children in, in places like Chicago and St. Louis. Yeah. That kind of terrorism helped put him in the White House. Not that there weren't some other things that we're not going to talk about. But, um, you know, look, the, the point is that the whole agitation is based upon this false premise, which I think we should state. And that is that policemen are killing Black men because they're Black. Now, you can look into the statistics of this. The FBI, which has been around for a long time, uh, they have been keeping statistics on the uh, police brutality and, and deaths at the hands of police, probably going back to the 1930s, even probably certainly the 1960s. They've been around for a while. And according to the FBI's database, last year, 18 people were killed who were black in police custody. Now, that's not thousands of people. Now, you had you have, you know, if you interview people on the street in Minneapolis and young people around the country and you ask them, oh, the police are killing thousands of black men. Nonsense. 
That's a complete. That's a complete. Yeah, but it's lie. not the real issue. I'm saying it framed, and that's the most visceral. No, but that's the, issue the basic is premise the, of the protest. It's really prison. Killing I think it's really the prisons that issue. I mean, we I have this guy on TikTok I'm arguing with who says they're, they're going in, and then they killed this man in his car that because he pulled out a gun and sort of a taser, as if oh I did this because he's black and I wanted to kill him, or this young woman in Columbus, Ohio, who was slashing with a knife her friend, and she was killed. Now, do I think, I don't think anybody, any of these people should be killed. But what I would suggest is that of the 18 people who were killed last year, who happened to be black, putting aside the numbers of people who were killed who were not black, I would imagine that was much greater. You have to look at this on a case by case basis. And I think if you did, you would conclude, and I haven't, but I think that if I did, and perhaps we might have an honest journalist who might do that, I don't think we have that now because they're all a bunch of political hacks, but they would see that they were killed either by accident, which is a tragedy, as was the case with Brianna Taylor in, in Louisville. She happened to be in the wrong place. There was a shootout and she got caught in the crossfire. Um, her boyfriend was, uh, you know, in my opinion, this all kind of red herring to, that people debate. Well, the other um, issue, the, other the main is, issue that people well, care about, let me just finish my thought. Is, is, is the prison minute, system, the fact that in minute. Detroit. The other factor is that besides the accident, you have situations where a person is violent. They are threatening the life of other people. And the only way to stop them, maybe unwisely, was to shoot them. And then they died. Like this young woman who was shot in Columbus. They don't mention media, you notice, they don't mention the fact that they saved the life probably of the other young woman who also, by the way, was black, who she was trying to stab to death. So, you know, I, I only say this because this is racial agitation and propaganda. This is the kind of stuff that is meant, it has served several purposes besides tearing down police departments. And now we have a situation in the United States where people are leaving the police department, good people in droves in places like New York where we need them. And people are not getting into policing because the profession is under such siege. And it also fans the flames of race conflict where it doesn't necessarily exist. It exacerbates it. So that's all I'm saying. And I think that's why this man was convicted of second degree murder. And that's what this is all about. And well, you know, I, I, I disagree. I think that the debate we're having is not the real debate that matters to African-Americans. There's a reason why we're debating something that doesn't really matter, but what was does matter to African-Americans is the prison industrial con, uh, complex, a, like, like in Detroit, where Dan Gilbert was gonna bro broker a deal to build like a $40 million prison to hold thousands more prisoners in Detroit, where I think one out of three uh, black men, uh, adults are former, you have been in prison for felonies. It's a huge number of, of uh, people that have been in prison. So the, like when a cop does something or the hard hand or you know, shoots a person, you start arguing the statistics, maybe that's, maybe you're, you know, you're probably right. But the, where the disparity will show up oh, yeah. is, no, in the, is, is in the prisons. And sure. when you're in a place like Detroit, um, literally, I think like one out of four adult black men like have been yeah. have no, been that's, spent that's time in prison. So it's like no, they're not no, really that's, it's that's not really chauvin that's upsetting people. I mean, obviously, that's upsetting people because you see the guy have his knee on his neck and he died, or people getting shot. But but uh, you, I mean, it's kind of like because uh, people see the video and they say that's horrible. 
Um, but the real issue is prison reform and crime reform. And uh, I agree with that. I, I honestly think the prison system is unjust. So like, how do you? Oh, I agree. And just to mention here in America, I mean, in Detroit, there's like four, 400 murders a year. And I think less than 100 of them get solved. Like in Detroit, God forbid, I think rape has like a 10%. Um, like, like, God forbid, if someone reports a rape to the police in Detroit, there's less than 10% chance that they're ever going to arrest and convict uh, the perpetrator. And, and, and the numbers are just ridiculous in, in Detroit like that. And uh, you know, so, the, so people are worried, but they need a point to be rallied about just like, okay, we got to reduce crime. Well, I agree with that. We got to fix the prison system. And, and they they like, say, like here's see... a video of a guy with a knee, you know, here's a, sure. a video of a and cop killing a person. Because and, and that causes people to be upset. But what really causes them to be upset is the whole greater system oh, yeah. that no, disproportionately I... puts blacks in prison. No, I agree with that. And I think that there is a certain satisfaction in seeing a guy like Chauvin go to prison. And by the way, again, I think he should have go, he should do time, but for manslaughter. Because you see so many innocent black men in particular in prison for things like, you know, a nickel bag of marijuana and all of these, the set third, the three strike laws, which were put in place by Bill Clinton back in the 90s. And you have people like Kamala Harris when she was uh, attorney general in California, you know, you know, in bed with the private prison complex there and putting mostly black men in prison uh, where they could be cheap labor. And that kind of stuff going on around the country. Yeah, I agree with that. It's ridiculous and it's wrong. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, and I think that Trump took a shot at trying to reform that or begin to with the first. I mean, it's fight. a misdirect of the media. Like, like it's one of these, um, oh, yeah. you know, like deep state okay. where they force you on one side or the other. And unfortunately, both of those sides are against you. So for the African-Americans, it's a misdirect where they're telling the African-Americans this problem that's not really that big of a problem is what you should worry about in order that uh, no attention bit, that, you know, the prison industrial conflict or whatever reasons they don't want to deal on the democratic side with the real problem and no, I was they, they as, wrote that stuff i was no, let me just I let mean, me just make this problem. point when um the democrats like governor whitmer claimed that had those people been black that marched into the um state uh, congress that they probably would have been shot and a lot of the democrats even biden said had the protesters on uh, January 6th been black that the police probably would have just killed them. And it's like, like, there's no way, I seriously doubt that. And it's really the racist point of, of, oh, just, yeah, of Whitmore and, and Biden saying, I'm reading that like Biden wanted the police, Biden is the one scared of black people and he wanted to scare black people and say, the police are just gonna shoot you. Cause like, I don't think the police would have shot Terrible. the protesters no. January 6th or in Michigan had they been black. And so that you know, no, Governor yeah. Whitmore or even Biden himself claiming that uh, had the protesters been black, they would have been shot is indicative of the real racism. It is, if anything, they probably- You remember them saying that. And I was like, no, that's was like you're telling they me that these cops would have shot those people just because they're black. Why are you and telling them that? You're telling because it's true? I think that if, if, for example, if Ashley Babbitt had been black, she wouldn't have been shot in cold blood What's the misdirect, you know, that, that the problems don't get solved and the media purposely does a misdirect in that because really they want blacks to vote for Biden and Whitmer. They don't, the Democrats aren't really going to solve the problems of blacks. And like even here in Detroit, um, blacks really like their guns. I mean, the chief of police, the mm. biggest issue that blacks disagree with the Democratic Party on in Detroit is gun control. Oh, yeah. and, and it's because Absolutely. they don't, they don't believe the Democrats no. on that issue. 
They need the, to have uh, firearms to, to uh, avoid criminal situations. Chief of police in negative. Detroit, you know, that's on oh. Fox News. Like I, I met the man, um, interesting, a blue-eyed man, African-American with blue eyes. But uh, you know, he Not tells people bad. constantly, buy guns. You know, like Oh, like, yeah, of course. And gun ownership has gone way up in this country, has been for the past 20 years. Chief Craig, Chief Craig, if you've seen Chief him on Craig. Fox News. Yeah, and, and yeah, of course, you know, if you live in a neighborhood that has a higher crime rate, then yes, you should, you know, you, you learn to handle a firearm and you carry it. It's, it's a misdirect, you saying that we avoided Hillary the Clinton protest here in Detroit. Detroit. These Congress people all carry firearms in their pocketbooks. They know how to use them. I mean, this is, uh, it's part of the American way. I mean, and you've got 350 million legal weapons in the United States. That's probably means that if we if we if we say every person who owns a weapons they might if you did a median average it would be maybe 1.5 weapons and that's being generous that means that america has 200 million gun owners and that number is growing and that's more i think that's more than 50% of the population of this country so you know this is you know if you're going to say that ownership of a firearm is a problem when you know less than 0.00001% of people who uh, use crimes, who use a weapon in the commission of a crime, when usually those weapons aren't even legal, you know, th then, then that's somehow being used as an excuse to disarm the 99 point whatever percentage of people who have peaceful, uh, you know, fair, you know, responsible firearms owners. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I saw that movie, The Trayvon Hoax by Joel Gilbert, I think. And yeah. I largely agreed with the assessment. I mean, it's basically a democratic tool for elections oh, to, yeah. to largely scare blacks into voting, sure. uh, and to think, into oh, voting Democrat. And, and it's, it's a misdirect oh, yeah. to, to purposely get blacks about. to try to uh, focus on the wrong war. issue, the issue yeah. that's not... Stirring um, up racial conflict and race war and emotions in order to get to corral people into their reservation and get votes. I mean, the Trayvon Martin example is perfect. I mean, it was done, you, you recall the timing of it. It was just before the uh, re-election of Obama. To, to media, Mitt Romney. That's right, with, against Mitt Romney. And the media played that up as being, you know, with all these code words saying, this is because of conservatives and Republicans who are racist. And they, they doctored the whole story. I mean, they doctored the tape. It turns out that, um, the guy who uh, who killed Trayvon Martin was not white, anyways, uh, and that it had nothing, it had very little to do with race, if anything. I mean, they actually, literally, CNN doctored the tape to make it look like a race thing. That was it hurts everybody because like the solution is usually throwing the white man into prison for a long time, as like you know, God forbid, like some bone to the African American community. And no, I mean the African American community, uh, like in my opinion. I'm not black, they could speak for themselves, um, but they're not gonna benefit from white people being handed out harsher yeah. sentences. There yeah. needs to be complete prison reform. They yeah. need, they probably, I mean, in my my estimation, they should probably abolish the prison system um, altogether. But, but I mean, then you're saying what's gonna happen in America, it, you know, the, to move it forward, but uh, we don't have any solutions on these issues. And even the Democrats, because like, we live in urban areas that are largely African-Americans and we're scared of crime. So we don't want to, um, you know, abolish the prison system. Mm. We want to, uh, you know, convince African Americans it's not that unfair by occasionally throwing a white person, giving him a really harsh sentence, and, and basically nobody gets helped. 
I think that's a point well taken. I wouldn't go so far as to abolish the prison system. I think that there are violent people that we don't want to have out on the street. But I supported... De Tocqueville's original book on America was investigating the U.S. prison systems. Uh, did he call to abolish it? He didn't say to abolish it, but it's saying that uh, it's actually interesting that America was the first country to abolish uh, debt prisons, and America originally had yeah. uh, debtors' prisons. But uh, the prison system—I don't think in Europe they had such a developed prison system. So De Tocqueville came to America to mm. examine the U.S. Uh, um, prison system and ends up writing one of the most influential books on American democracy, but his goal was to examine um, the prison system well, in the I, U.S. I probably am with, I'm probably in line with you on this one, David. I mean, I think that it's this huge industrial complex that, that's, uh, you know, unnecessary, uncalled for, um, you know. Dan uh, Gilbert, has said, who owns Greek Town Casino now, is uh, is like is building, I, I think he's, I'm not sure if they cancel it, but I think he's building like a $100 million privately owned prison. I don't doubt it. I mean, that's right in the middle of Detroit. And people are like, please build us low, low, low uh, income housing. Like, you know, Dan Gilbert's doing gentrification and building all these apartments that people in Detroit can't afford. And instead of building low income housing, he's just going to build a bunch of prisons to throw people in that fight his gentrification. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's ugly. And I think that Trump took a He's actually a Trump supporter. I'm saying, I'm not sure that that Dan Gilbert, he's not really a Republican, but he gave money to Trump. I understand. And Trump took a small step in terms of, of, of reforming the system with the First Step Act that did release 10,000 prisoners, most of whom were black men, young black men, who had engaged in minor crimes and who should never have been incarcerated for those crimes. And I think that there needs to be more steps taken. We need a second, third, fourth, fifth step. I don't think it's going to happen under Biden, but you know, Can we talk about the Jewish angle for a second? Because sure. after the show that we did, I was on Luke Ford about okay. ADL. And I was saying from a Haredi perspective, a lot of you know, Chabadsters and people in Brooklyn think that the ADL is actively trying to get Blacks to beat us up. And, and the, you know, the conspiracy, so say, say would, would be that your average Orthodox Jew in Brooklyn supported Giuliani and Stop and Frisk and support strong measures of law and order. Yes. Most like ADL and liberal Jews, they don't live in the urban areas that are majority African-Americans. They live in further suburban areas and they support things like catch and release. So what like Al Sharpton teaming up with Jonathan Greenblatt, uh, to your average Orthodox Jew, it's like, of course, the ADL is on the side with the Al Sharpton. The ADL is probably paying the bail purposely if uh, you know some black guy, God forbid, beats up an Orthodox Jew, the ADL is going to pay their bail because they're doing it because they hate us, which is a pretty strong conspiracy. But I remember in Brooklyn, they didn't like the ADL and seem like, um, but this somewhat dynamic, and I, I would look at more objectively to say it could be Orthodox Jews are somewhat wrong in, in that you know, if, if African-Americans are beating up Jews in Brooklyn, they know that Orthodox Jews were, the, were one of the major supporters of stop and frisk. And so when de Blasio does catch and release and refuses to punish him and the black guy sees that like the stop and frisk, they really didn't like, and it's these Orthodox Jews that were trying to push it on us. And it's these Orthodox Jews till today that want to go back to stop and frisk. And you have the ADL that wants to, uh, you know, completely overhaul the prison system. And then generally you have Orthodox Jews that want extremely strong law and order, even things that are extremely unpopular, like stop and frisk. And it kind of escalates Black and Jewish violence. 
I think it does, especially given that uh, Orthodox Jews often live cheek by jowl with black communities. You know, like supporting stop and frisk isn't a way to make good relations with no. your African-American neighbors. No, I agree with that. But I don't know if the ADL, like saying, is the ADL um, like conspiring? Like, are they happy no, when Orthodox so. Jews get beat up? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, I don't generally. Or they say that's what you get. You're saying yeah, like, okay, I mean, you, supported, I you supported stop and frisk. That's what you get. I'm sorry. Sure. No, I mean, and I generally or say like, no, I mean, you can't say just because you supported stop and frisk means you should get beat up like that. That excuses when a black guy beats up an Orthodox Jew because they supported stop and frisk. No, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they are fanning the flames. I don't think so. Whatever. But, I mean, it's all unquestionable that Orthodox Jews unquestionably were behind Giuliani and stop and frisk. Like, I mean, I'm saying that right. you know, we were the only ones in a way. I mean, there I, were a lot of people across New York City. Yeah, but, but the, the vast majority of Orthodox Jews supported Giuliani and support till today stop and frisk. And at the time, it probably was appropriate because New York had a very high crime rate, and the crime rate went down. But I don't know if that's necessary now. I mean, that's a police question. I think we should leave that up to the police department. Well, I mean, Giuliani got booted, but I was saying Trump and Giuliani probably if Trump was still president and you had the mayoral elections would be supporting a candidate that was backing stop and frisk by saying the destruction of Donald Trump uh, and Giuliani is somewhat this matter of, of Trump was also a huge supporter of stop and frisk. And, and that was probably one of the reasons they had to get rid of Trump. And, you know, at this point, the mayoral race, you know, I think, I mean, if you want to talk about Andrew Yang, we could save that for uh, later weeks, but he's probably yeah. going to win. But at this point, there is no one there's zero chance a Republican's going to rise on uh, being tough in crime. Although, God forbid, if uh, crime really rises in two years from now, like the murder rate is uh, biggest in the world in New York City again, maybe a Republican would uh, reemerge yeah, I mean, as it, a supporter it, it stop and frisk. It depends on the um, situation, as the Israelis say, the situation on the ground. <laughs> I mean, Dukakis and, in, uh, I, yeah, I forget that, the, the name of the murderer, that, that famous video. Oh, uh, you're talking about Willie Horton. Yeah, the Willie Horton. I remember those commercials as a kid. With Willie Horton and Dukakis, uh, and a lot of experts say that's what, uh, uh, well, that's it, why he lost. It was, and at that time, that was a terrible scandal for Dukakis. Actually, I mean, as 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 I remember that, he, is there going to be a Willie Horton case that's going well, I mean, to drive a Republican back no, into office think, in a major urban issue. area again? I don't think it's an issue right now because you don't have those kind of crime rates right now. Let's not forget. I mean, this was mid late 1980s there was a lot of crime i mean that went down maybe we should thank clinton for that i don't know the point is that you don't have that kind of and also trump deported a lot of the um hardcore mi5 gangs and and people who were doing doing that kind of crime i mean i think that it's been managed better i think police are better in boston they certainly are but uh, just to to revisit dukakis briefly because that's an interesting subject Dukakis had created this program which gave weekend furloughs to um, convicted first-degree murderers. And Willie Horton was out on one of these furloughs unsupervised. Just go out, come back, you know, check in later. He thought this was progressive. And he ended up raping a woman and browbeating her husband while he was tied up. And he was caught and brought back to prison. And Dukakis refused to acknowledge it. He refused to ever apologize to the woman and the family. And, um, you know, it became an issue in his campaign. 
Uh, it was a commercial. I remember those commercials. Oh, like the, it, the the revolving doors. Devastating, yeah. And, and I was just showed, a little kid, but and they know, showed they, pictures of Willie Horton that, that were horrifying, and it was kind of it was a bit on the racist side because I mean, it, it could. I mean, God forbid, monstrous. And you know, it's like this is going to be you. Thank you to Dukakis. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you, who was the operator? The um, he passed away, but he was like a political thinker, you know, like kind of guy, you know, for the Republicans. Uh, I think it was Lee Atwater, I, I think to recall, who came up with that whole commercial, and it was devastating for Dukakis. Did and, you ever, uh, you know, Vincent James, the Red Elephants popular streamer? I've heard of him. Yeah. So I mean, he's making all these videos. I, I debated him, yeah, spoke with too? him actually uh, a, a while back. Um, you know, he was he was big in the Trump train, so to say, and now yeah, he's still, he was, he's still he was one big of the on YouTube guys. a while. I don't think he's on YouTube anymore, is he? No, he's on on BitChute and he's got his own platform. I think he's still doing relatively, um, you know, good at least in terms of streaming. Uh, sure. Uh, post YouTube, no, he but, was, but he's he been was, making videos about, you know, saying that we're going to see that again, and that, that you know, prepare for crime waves like we've never seen, and you know, combination of, uh, uh, you know, defunding the police or uh, taking away police powers in urban areas. Oh yeah. Well, you know, that, that, according to him, demographic shifts and maybe you know race, racial ideas that uh, blacks got you know God forbid are more violent, and yeah. especially what's happening at the border, where it's possible that already tens or hundreds of thousands of people have came into the U.S. and we don't even know about it. We can't even figure it out, no. and it could be you know like a year now for you know if uh, Biden and, and Harris are incompetent, that a year from now we're just going to find out that there's 500 terrorists that are already in America. And they didn't even yeah. tell us about it. That's right. Let me, I'm going to ask you something that I, I would not discuss on YouTube. Since we're not on YouTube, I feel like I have a little bit. It's hard to believe Facebook is much more liberal, but. Well, whatever. I'm on about five other networks and I feel like, almost I feel unshackled a little bit, not having to worry every second that I'm saying something. But first of all, I want to point out that that's an interesting theory with regard to the future of a possible increase in crime because of these crazy calls to defund police and because police are leaving departments due to the demonization by things like the, uh, the, the George Floyd um, propaganda that police are killing people and they can't do anything, that you have calls to have the federal government come in now under uh, the attorney general and closely monitor police departments, which is very bad. They and the border crisis. Yeah, they, I mean, they actually tried that in New York and uh, the police in New York, which are predominantly black, by the way, and the mayor of New York at the time, I think it was de Blasio, said, we can't have this. And, and they stopped that program. It's uh, you know, a federalization of police and that, yeah, the open border, you know, and you don't know who's coming over the border and it's it, thousands of children. Catch and release um, is still, is yeah. Boston have catch and release? I mean, New York and LA definitely still are yeah, I think doing catch and release. Almost, I don't know if uh, even But Detroit I want to ask doesn't. you something. I don't know if you've heard of this, David. And again, this is not a subject I would get into on YouTube. But um, this is one of those conspiracy theories that I have no idea about. But I think that it's worth mentioning because it's we're not pointing specific fingers at specific people. It doesn't harm anyone to bring it up. And it is that there was recently this conference, which included people like Sidney Powell and General Flynn and other supporters of President Trump. And the actor Jim Caviezel, who played the role of Jesus, 
in a movie about Jesus produced by Mel Gibson and who has been in a few other movies. He testified that people in Hollywood and others that he had firsthand knowledge of were involved in murdering children and using their blood to rejuvenate, rejuvenate themselves. And they, I guess they call this adrenochrome that, um, you know, if you frighten the child enough, they, they release hormones and then they, it, it, then they can bottle this. Now, again, God forbid. I mean, God forbid. I mean, this is the most evil thing I've ever heard. And he's, he's, you got to talk to Luke Ford, the expert in Hollywood. So if you're talking like pornography, yeah. possibly statutory rape, child molestation, well, Luke Ford sex trafficking, mm-hmm. I would say like almost certainly. But like, you know, stuff going that far. I like, like, nah, I mean, like, if you well, tell me like all those guys are perverts and, and do, no, no, I'm not saying uh, do that, messed up stuff like that, I would say like, yeah, probably. And maybe, we'll um, but like stuff like that, like yeah, you okay. need some sort of evidence. Like how, like that, that just seems. Uh, it does to me too. And I know we're getting into a little bit of the QAnon kind of stuff here, you know, of like child, you know, pedophilia, child. Well, I'm saying that the elites are child molesters mm-hmm. and perverts and, and doing stuff like that. Like, of course, that's what elites have done since of the course. beginning of time. That's you're like, I, I talked about Justinian. I think yeah. uh, Justin, the Justinian, the Roman emperor, married not, not so much a former prostitute. No, I think and the former was, prostitute uh, ended prostitution in Israel. Actually, it was in Israel, and in, in the, that that uh, that was the first place she ended prostitution. I, I don't think but was, at the time, it, it was just given it was, that if you were elite, to rape and pillage the countryside. Yeah, you know, versus like satanic weird conspiracies. I'm not oh, so yeah. sure about, but like raping and pillaging the countryside. It's like, of course, elites have always done that. They're always going to have a temptation to try to do that. That's right. Like, and, what's and, the purpose and, of being elite? And by the way, it's it like wasn't... Donald Trump. What's the purpose of, of working so hard and becoming elite if you don't get to rape and pillage the countryside after you do it? It wasn't Justinian. It was Tiberius who uh, came after Augustus. And he he was the even... married a former prostitute. Yes. That the and, and that he was, he was even scorned in history by other Romans who said that he went way too far. But yeah, I mean, obviously this is an element when you have such incredible power not just in politics, but in culture and in places like Hollywood and, you know, the late night, you know, media people and people who get used to living in and operating almost in a, in an alternative universe than the rest of us do. People like, I don't want to mention names, but a former president and his wife, who is a, also was a secretary of state. We know who I'm talking about. People just, who, I just called the money. I'm saying the fact is, is that money like Jeffrey Epstein? You were saying like, yeah. how did he get all those girls to you know do these horrible things? Because he paid them. So if you're talking to people in Hollywood who have fame and money, right. that's like, right. Of course, they're going to have corruption, they're... and that and that they have a certain interface with certain intelligence agencies around the world, and that they were. It's kind of this, or even have the police actual... that are going to cover it up. I mean, in the olden days, in Hollywood, it was a known thing. From what I understand, you probably know more about it than me. That you could commit a crime. And someone else would take the fall for you, go to prison for a few years and oh, get yeah. a check at the end. Oh, yeah. And, and well, that, so stuff was... like, like if a person, if they were killing their enemies, yeah. God forbid, or, you know, forbidden sexual things like that. Um, but like what that guy's talking about, is, like, it just doesn't make sense. Like I could see that if well, I that kind of stuff powerful, happen, I would want to like have sex with a bunch of women. Yeah. Um, but like, why would I want to do like these weird, like QAnon, like, satanic can. type stuff? So that's always... You know, so like the part about child molestation, I think is a pretty fair um, 
worry that you say yes people yeah. that with that kind of power you should be worried they and you have all these trying to have thousands sex with your daughters and get and, and get away with it but like why would they be doing this satanic stuff and maybe you speak because to the higher who knows more about it than probably anybody maybe luke ford but it just doesn't make sense to me like the, the basic uh, you're raping and pillaging the countryside makes sense but uh, why would they be doing this like weird satanic stuff because they can as Bill Clinton said famously in his- well, I mean, uh, But you uh, say because he can, like, meaning having sex with young women, like any man sure. would be like, yeah, if I they could can have get sex away with, with young women, they, I would. They like Bill, why would Bill Clinton want to do because weird satanic stuff? Because he's a pervert and because he's weird. I'm pervert, but I'm saying pervert doesn't mean like satanic stuff? blood and stuff. Pervert, I don't, I, I don't pervert means that he had, God forbid, you know, Monica Lewinsky. In, you in know the, something, David, I don't know if there is this satanic um, I'm, I'm skeptical. You're saying, but but like the sexual perversion, but I wouldn't totally discount it. You know, I know this is another one of these internet memes, and I'm going to say it because I I can now that I'm not on YouTube. But there there are photos now of Chelsea Clinton and Melinda Gates, Bill Gates's wife, wearing necklaces that have inverted crosses on them. That's a satanic symbol. All right. Now, I'm not saying they're Satanists. I'm not saying they're Luciferians, but I think it's interesting to note that. And oftentimes in, in history, satanic cults and the occult in general, they like to publicly display symbols and images. You see it in Hollywood. I just interviewed Jay Dyer, who wrote a fantastic I like Jay, In fact, Dragnet, if you remember that movie, Dragnet, where they had that secret society, Jay Dyer writes about. I used to love that movie as a kid. Yeah. And I think he said that was actually, Dragnet was actually the Bohemian Grooves. And those scenes, some of them were actually right. filmed at a real Bohemian Grove uh, gathering. Yeah. The Bohemian Grove is definitely involved with. You remember uh, the movie Dragnet? I, I remember it. I don't know if I Dan saw Dan Aykroyd and, and someone oh, else. Okay. Where, yeah. where, where, I mean, the funny thing about the movie, they're trying to undercover like some secret crime ring. And it turns out like the chief, like uh, it's it's one of like the head politicians mm. that's doing the dual face where where really like the their boss is the one doing the, the crime ring and they have these weird rituals where like- I mean, Alex on... Jones, another name we kind of talk about on YouTube, he, he um, and a, a fellow cameraman, I mean, they actually infiltrated into both- I mean, Is that like, God forbid, your know, Jews put the, the you know, blood in masses, God forbid, that uh, they say like, nah, I mean, you could see that if a person like doesn't know much about Judaism, they're skeptical about Jews, that people are like, oh, maybe Jews, God forbid, are putting the blood in matzahs. And QAnon is largely the same thing, that everybody knows that uh, you know, the people in Hollywood and politics are not beacons of sexual morality. And if you're telling them they're having sex with prostitutes and, and things like that, like, of course they're doing that. But then you're telling me that they're putting blood in the matzos. What's the difference? So you say it's an anti-Semite right. that thinks we're putting blood in the matzos. You know, God forbid, but that's, but a Q fair, that's a fair thought. I mean, I, I obviously I'm not saying that. And maybe that could be seen as that. I don't know. But isn't it the same thing? I mean, so what's I the difference? Ultimately, it is. I, although I don't the Jews don't do this. I don't I'm saying that, that but, but you think that maybe Goyim do. Like, oh, no, zero chance that a Jew do. would put blood in no, the Nazi, I don't but maybe, think maybe the Goyim are, are doing No, that. I didn't say that. I'm not saying either Jews or Gentiles do this. I'm saying that there might be a corrupt element within very elite circles who might do it, who are neither Jewish or Gentile. They're just, they're Satanists. They have nothing to do with Judaism or Gentilism. 
I mean, probably just it's, perverts that try to get away yeah. with their perversions. Well, I, I mean, but the like, point is that it's sort of like Jeffrey Epstein and and others. When you have a culture that gives a, a either they, they operate under the under the shadows of secrecy, you have them infiltrating high levels of power and bringing people into the fold, as Jeffrey Epstein did with Epstein Island, and and that it, it becomes almost like that like the old saying goes: one hand doesn't know what the the other hand is doing. You, you know, it develops a culture, a conspiracy, if you will, of gentlemen, as, as Whitaker Chambers called it, where people just behave in a certain way. They, they're extra legal. They, they are one step ahead of the law. They know they're not going to be exposed because they're corrupt because they have their tentacles everywhere. And they do things like this. I don't know if that's true. I have no idea. How would I know? I'm just some poor shalom here in Boston. Well, I mean, but I don't you, think if you study Roman, if, if you claim about that they're a continuation of ancient like Roman cults or, or yeah. longstanding yeah, that's right. groups that we know about, and it's a continuation of rituals that have always uh, yeah. been, been being uh, done. Or always under the surface, there's always been this element, the occultic element. That that's how tragic story got forbid recently. It was like a little kid, like yeah. chat, another little kid. And he said it was initiation to a gang that they had to kill somebody to get initiated into a gang. You're just dumb. But that has sources in ancient materials. So you just have a, a few people yeah. in an urban area that create a gang in an order like honor among thieves that, uh, you, know, yeah. you know, how do we know you're not going to turn on the other people that they have to do some sort of uh, crime that that makes sense. Historically, you sure. know, like blood brothers, uh, Freemasonry, right. yes, even forms of Judaism. You need to know that you're not going to turn on the other people. So, I mean, Judaism doesn't have that sense and even Freemasonry doesn't, but the criminal element of it is you have to do something messed up right. that could ruin your life that it all the brothers know about. And the reason they're not going to snitch, you know, it's, it's basically... Uh, like a mutually assured destruction or too well, big to fail. You can't like snitch you know, because because then everyone else is going to go that's down right. because they all did these horrible things and they all know about well, it. Well, I think that's that's the, that's the story of the mafia, the organized crime syndicates. I mean, the made man, right? You know, you become a made man when you kill someone. Anyway, David, I think we're reaching. But it wasn't just point. random. I was saying generally that was like one of their enemies. You want to join the mafia? It's not like you know just kill some random person. No, but if you reason. become, you, it was you it was you, you know someone on yeah. their hit list that, that that. That's right. You do a hit, and then you're a made man. You're on the inside. Anyway, David, where can people watch your excellent show? Um, well, I had on Israel Advocacy uh, Movement uh, um, is the name of the channel. It's on Facebook and YouTube. And so that recent uh, de uh, debate, I was on Claire Call the other day after that, talking about, uh, you know, is talking to uh, counter Semites productive or not for the Jewish people? I have my own channel, which I haven't released any content for like a month, but I have a whole bunch of content on all various, uh, you know, subjects, uh, Jewish or topical uh, lectures, uh, conversations. Yeah. As of now, you know, unfortunately, I had a, a minor argument with Lowell and, and he dropped me from Root and Branch. So I'm not working with Root and Branch in Jerusalem anymore, but you know, oh. we had Week in Review Sunday night, our hundredth episode. You don't, you don't uh, number these, um, but every Sunday for almost over two years now uh, have a regular uh, a program and, and, you know, me and Charles are uh, doing a regular we'll, program. We'll, we'll be approaching. Fact, it, you know, if, I send you, if I send you the file on this, maybe you could post it on YouTube because I can't. How's that? Um, 
we think about it. I'm not sure if I get that many viewers or, you know, saying oh, if you then. wanted to, like just our weekly program, I'm not sure if people want, like if we had a topic on a conversation that like a year later, that would still be worthwhile listening. But a lot of times these weekly programs aren't really worth watching uh, later, but we could discuss that. I'm happy to work. Or if you have, if yeah, you want to come you, on my I'll show send, yeah. to talk about one of your new books, you know what? Thank I, I could, you. we could do a special show on I do have a new my channel, just talking about one of your books that would just Thank be on one topic that would hopefully be right. worthwhile to people I do have for a new years book coming out who wanted to learn about it. I do have a new book coming out and I will email you a clip of this so you can post it on YouTube. Anyways, Dovid, thanks so much for joining me. Okay, great. You have a right. good Sabbath and uh, look forward to the next time. Thank you.